Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so happy to be here with you today. We have got a great show in store. And before we dive into today's conversation, I want to tell you about one of our incredible sponsors. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I just saw my counselor last week. You guys know by now that she has been so helpful to me as I navigate my mental, emotional, and spiritual health. I've benefited so much from her help. And spoiler alert, y'all have benefited from it too. I think it's really important to prioritize time for therapy, even in the midst of busy seasons. I know you're being pulled in a hundred different directions right now, but adding a counseling appointment to your schedule doesn't have to be another stressor. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and fit in your schedule. Your session can be done right from home and you just fill out a brief questionnaire. Y'all know we love a quiz and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. Finding a therapist that is the right fit for you is so important and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, so you're sure to be working with someone who is a good match. When you're stretched thin, it's easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to figure out what you need. Therapy can give you the tools to find more steadiness in your life so you can keep supporting your people without leaving yourself behind. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash That Sounds Fun today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash That Sounds Fun. Today on the show is a good one, y'all. I get to talk with my friend Shane Claiborne. Shane is a speaker, an activist, a best-selling author. Y'all get this. He's worked with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. Mother Teresa. And he founded The Simple Way in Philadelphia. Shane is a champion for grace, which has led him to places like jail. Yes, actual jail, as he advocates for the homeless. And to places like Iraq and Afghanistan to stand against war. Shane heads up red-letter Christians of movement of folks who are committed to living as if Jesus meant the thing. He said his latest book. I've read a lot of his stuff. This is my favorite. It's called Rethinking Life, Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. It released in February and it explores the battle between life and death that goes as far back as the Garden of Eden. This moving and timely book creates a larger framework for thinking about God's love and our faith as we embrace a consistent ethic that values human life from womb to tomb. I think you're going to find this one really interesting. So here is my conversation with my friend, Shane Claiborne. Hey, y'all. Staff boss Ashley here. Don't worry. Nothing's wrong. We just gave Annie the afternoon off and then realized there was one more thing we wanted to say before we dive into this conversation. And so here I am. Um, This conversation between Annie and Shane is important and thought-provoking. And also, due to the nature of some of the topics that they discuss, things like gun violence, sexual abuse, abortion, murder. We just wanted to go ahead and give you a heads up about that up front so that if any of those topics are tender for you, you can proceed with the sensitivity that we always encourage each other to have with our own hearts and that you can also make that decision now for any many BFF ears who may be in close proximity. Shane Claiborne, welcome to That Sounds Fun. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Thank Man, you. I, you have got to know what a fan I am. I mean, for years, I've been watching you in the least creepy way lead in so many interesting places. So thank you for making time to do this. I'm blushing over here. <laughs> so nice of you. Well, okay. So tell me this. You grew up in East Tennessee. Is that where y'all still are? I love East Tennessee. That is where I grew up. I came to school in Philadelphia and I kind of stayed. I've been here for about 25 years in Philly. Um, 
but I still get down there all the time. I'm a mama's boy. I yeah. love my mom. I love the East Tennessee. My, my people are buried in the Smoky Mountains yes, up there. So, yes. Yep. I love, yep. I mean, even in Rethinking Life, your newest book, you talk about how different Philly is than East Tennessee, but also you bring up my girl, Dolly Parton, which I appreciate. Ooh. I mean, like your grandparents lived around the corner from her. Yes. Annie. And if I was in Tennessee, I have a little office up in Tennessee as well. And on my wall, I have my two Shane love Dolly no. like sign picture. So our, I mean, literally our grandparents, my great grandparents, her family grew up on the same hillside. I remember my uncle saying, I remember when she used to play on the front porch. You yeah. know, and, uh, and I still inherited a little piece of land, Annie, in, in the mountains there. And it says uh, on the deed. Old Hag Holler. Oh. That's, the, that's the name of the road. Great. So that's, that's how country we are. Oh, yeah. I love it. Okay, so so much of what you write about and talk about is pro-life from start to finish. A mm-hmm. pro-life belief system from birth to death, right? And yes. so, but growing up, I mean, I grew up in Georgia and spent a lot of time, I mean, I use the word holler on a normal basis. <laughs> so our our upbringing, I was around guns my whole life. I, I was around young moms a lot in my life. And so kind of, will you talk me through how you go from growing up around around that culture to living in such a different culture and having different belief systems in your family? I assume. Sorry, that's an assumption. Well, honest to goodness, part of what gives me a lot of grace and patience to to talk with folks who might see things a little differently or might be working through how they feel about some of these big issues, I I have a lot of patience because I, I was passionately on the other side of many of them, like the death penalty and guns and different things. And I think, you know, where we sit determines what we see, you know, wow. and my worldview was really shaped by that East Tennessee culture I grew up in. There's things I absolutely love about it, but yeah. there were, you know, a lot of things that once I came to Philly, I, I kind of looked back and I started to have eyes to see, as Jesus said, you know, like we had the Confederate flag on everything in my high school, um, I went to the Maryville High School Rebels. That's what we were, you know. And so, you know, we had it painted on our walls. We had the Confederate flag on our our lunchroom trays. And so. Oh, my gosh. On the lunchroom trays. Yeah, I kid you not. Yeah. Um, And for our friends listening, I I mean, you you weren't in high school 50 years ago. (laughs) Just because they don't see you. So they don't know that you're not 90. That was like in the last 25 years or something you were in high school. I won't, I won't tell you what high school reunions coming up. Actually, you know, uh, yeah, it was, it it was back in the 1900s, you know, Uh, (laughs) but you know, I, and I grew up passionately saying that I was pro-life, but really the main lens through which I thought about that and defined that was on the issue of abortion. And, uh, you know, and I write about this, I think, I still think that abortion matters and I care deeply about it, but I think that other things matter too. So I don't want to like, shrink what it means to be pro-life. I want to, you know, expand that. And, um, you know, gun violence now is the number one cause of death of of kids in Tennessee and kids around the country. And so that matters to me. You know, I think every person that dies is, is made in the image of God. And whether that's, you know, the death penalty or uh, gun violence or abortion or, you know, racism like that, that matters to me. I think it matters to God. So, and a lot of my family are still gun owners. Uh, Like our family are still hunters, you know, Katie, my wife is from North Carolina. So we're very comfortable with guns and there's entire 
groups now that we work with of gun owners concerned about gun violence, you yes. know, hunters against assault rifles. Yes. And yes. some of my family are, are really a, like would fit that category. You know, they're, yeah. they're gun owners that are concerned about gun violence. Yeah, it, it feels like the loudest thing we hear are, and this is true, I mean, we should all just remember this every election cycle. The loudest thing we hear are the polar opposites, not the hunters against gun violence. Like you don't hear from them. You don't hear the people who are trying to do these nuanced conversations that are inviting both a little bit of yes and versus right. all or nothing. That's right. Yeah. Why, why is that? Why is that who we hear the most? Well, I think some of this is about not about the gospel of the sweet Lord Jesus, but about partisan politics and some some of the ways that you distinguish yourself from the other person or the other party, especially when you have a two-party system, is not by emphasizing the things that you might be able to work together on, but the, the like exact like the really stark differences that you have and digging your heels in. And I think that's why we see a lot of like uncompromising rhetoric and ideologies that kind of hijack the the airwaves, you know. And I, I think we could find some common sense ways to agree on gun laws, but I also think we could find some guardrails and some common sense boundaries on abortion, on so many things, you know. So that's that's what I've been trying hard to work together on. And it's really clear to me that self-righteousness is toxic. You know, Jesus yeah, kind of referred wow. to the yeast of the Pharisees, you yes. know, as this kind of moral self-righteousness that's so damaging. And I think in our culture, I grew up with a conservative version of that that was, you know, about being sort of purity culture and stuff. But there's another version of that in in a lot of justice circles that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sort of has the same theological policing and cancel culture, but it's just on the left instead of the right. But I still think it's, it's still about moral righteousness and making other fe- people kind of feel how, you know, terrible they are. We have another podcast we do called Let's Read the Gospels, where I'm literally reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every month. And so it's awesome. And all I do is read and pray. We don't give any commentary. We're just, but I need you to know we're on our fifth cycle now of reading it. And the three of us that sit in the room laugh every time we get to that part about the yeast of the Pharisees because the disciples yeah. all thought Jesus was talking about them forgetting to bring bread. <laughs> and Jesus <laughs> like, no, you guys, it's not about that he forgot bread. <laughs> we love that part. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things about Rethinking Life and some of your other writing is you do such deep Bible study. And it, in Annie's opinion, it makes it hard to argue a lot of the things you say because you bring the Bible in and so well done you. But will you talk about the first thing that's labeled sin in the Bible was not Adam and Eve. Will you talk about that? I I had never realized that my whole life. Well, this is a recent revelation for me too. I mean, I've been to seminary and everything else, but I, I you know, I, I really, um, we think of the original sin as kind of the Garden of Eden, e- yeah. eating from the forbidden fruit, you know, Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity. But the first time that the concept and the word sin is used in the Bible is not actually in the Garden of Eden, but it's what happens right outside of the Garden of Eden with the inaugural murder yeah. of Cain and Abel. And that's where you see, I guess, really the, like, the concrete implication, you know, what, what happens with a fallen humanity and it's violence. It's, it's a brother, you know, a man killing his own brother. Yes. And it also says that that blood cries out to God yes. from the ground. Tell so there's this part. like deep grieving of God, you know, yes. that like this is a person, a child made in the image of God. And my Jewish friends actually have helped me understand this a little bit more deeply. And one of the things that they pointed out is that that 
word for the blood is plural. So it wasn't just, it is about Abel's blood, but yes. it's also more than Abel. It's, it's everybody's blood that we've shed. It continues to cry out to God. That's why it's in the plural. It's not just one person, but it's that blood that is stained the pages of history and the land that we live on right now, that that blood yeah. cries out to God. And they also point out that that the verb is in the present tense. Yes, that's the uh, part. So, that's the part. Yeah, so, you know, it's still crying out to God. Uh, and and it's also Michael Brown's blood, right. everybody's blood that we've shed. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it's, it's a powerful place to begin, you know, in the book of Genesis. But then, you know, what's interesting, I do love the Bible, Annie, and I, and I think part of what we need to do is better theology because there's a lot of bad theology out there. Right. And, you know, one of the constructs for how we even think about justice was one of the earliest ways of thinking about it, even earlier than the um, the Hebrew scriptures, the Bible itself, was this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This, this idea that we're going to, like real justice is doing the same harm back that was done to us. Mm -hmm. And so it was very specific, though, the law allowed for reciprocal harm. So exactly how the person had harmed you. If they poked out your right eye, you could poke out their right eye, but not their left eye. You know, yeah. it had to be exactly the same done. And that's why it's so interesting that Jesus knows that, you know, and you know, from your reading of the Gospels, he points back to that and he says, you've heard it said, yeah. an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you this, Moses told you this, but I tell you this, and he's actually challenging that idea that we should mirror the harm. As my, you know, as my mama taught me, two wrongs don't make a right, right and right. and that's what Jesus is kind of saying: is it might be legal, but that doesn't make it right, and right. and it, it might be how we've understood it, but there's an even better way, which we don't mirror the evil, we don't do mm -hmm. violence, you know, we don't rape people who rape. Right. to show that rape is wrong. But that's why it's so important, even with the death penalty, with so many of the ways that we think about justice after 9-11, after whatever happens, like is that we're going to do that back to them. And I think that that's what Jesus is trying to free us from. Like, yes, like, yes. So I, yeah, I love it. I, but I, I think you're exactly right. We got we to gotta dig deeper on some of these Bible scriptures, you know, these scriptures that have been used, I think misused yeah. to justify the very stuff that Jesus came to heal the world of. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation to share about one of our amazing partners, Nutrafol. We are always talking about fun ways to style our hair, but what about ways to keep it healthy? You guys, millions of Americans experience thinning hair. In fact, it's really normal. It's just not openly talked about, especially among women. If you are one of them, you are not alone. There is a solution you can trust to deliver results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. It's clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. It supports healthy hair growth by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, yes, hormones, always a factor environment we live in one nutrition we're trying and metabolism yes that too Nutrafol addresses all of these through whole body health I love that Nutrafol offers three different physician created formulas that support women throughout all stages of life including postpartum and menopause so no matter what season you're in they've got us covered with the natural drug-free medical 
grade ingredients, they're bringing us the most reliable results. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. And 3,000 plus top doctors and stylists recommended Nutrafol as an effective and high quality solution for healthier hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code that sounds fun to save $10 off your first month subscription. This offer is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. So get $10 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code that sounds fun. And as always, if you can't remember a link or a discount code, you can find those lists of our sponsors and links in the show notes below, as well as in the AFD Week in Review. And one more amazing partner to tell you about, Shopify. Y'all know that sound? That's right. It means that another one of you is out there shopping our online store at shopanniefdowns.com. And that is powered by Shopify. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. What small business have you been dreaming about starting? That is what I would like to know. I'm so excited to shop the small businesses coming to the Here For You tour. I love seeing what you guys are up to and what you're making and selling. Whatever idea you have, don't let the technical logistics keep you from getting started. Shopify has what you need to help get your products in the hands of the right people. What I love about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, they can empower you with confidence and the control to take your business to the next level. From their in-person point of sale system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, Shopify covers every sales channel, y'all. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. They give you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills. Plus, thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. You don't have to worry about something going wrong and having no help. Now it's your turn to get serious about the passion project you want to get out into the world and try Shopify today. So sign up for a dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash sounds fun. All lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash sounds fun to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sounds fun. Okay, now back to our conversation with Shane. That sounds fun. So what made this the right time for you to write Rethinking Life? I mean, why knowing that, I mean, this has been your trajectory. All of us who know you and know your name and know your work, this has been a central part of, of taking taking these stories in scripture and saying, this is how it translates to what we're doing today and how we are handling life and death and murder. And we don't have a lot of murder conversations on that sounds fun, Shane. So here we go. So why was this the right time to write Rethinking Life? I'm sure this book has lived in your heart for a long time. Yeah, it has. And the last couple of books that I wrote were sort of, more specifically about particular issues. And the reason I wrote them is because as much as we say that we're pro-life, I saw that when it comes to gun violence, Christians 
are actually not always the champions of life. In fact, we're, I think, often obstacles to some of the things that would save lives when it comes to some of our policies and even just grieving the the over 100 lives lost every day in our country to guns. But we own guns. Christians own guns at a higher rate than the general population. We're one of the biggest gun enthusiast groups in the world. So we're worshiping Christians of all race. (laughs) Is that like across races? white, White evangelical Christians are the steady base of support. Um, But even as you just zoom out a little bit, uh, there's still a problem that we have is we're, you know, kind of worshiping the Prince of Peace, the one who said, love your enemies, who loved his enemies so much he died for them. And we, you know, it's hard to reconcile that. So I I wanted to write about that. I wrote Beating Guns. And then I also, you know, saw that the biggest supporters of the death penalty are Christians. And in fact, 90 percent of executions are happening in the Bible Belt, where Christians are most concentrated. And Tennessee is one of those, one of the many states that still executes people. We still have the electric chair in Tennessee. I um, did not know that. I did not know that. Yeah. And so the fact is that the death penalty wouldn't stand a chance if Christians decided to abolish it. And I think, you know, when Jesus says so much of what Jesus is, I mean, it's an entire life is like, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. You know, I have not come for the healthy, but for the sick. I mean, so much of the gospel is about that mercy triumphs over judgment. So for me, the death penalty and gun violence, they're not just political issues or social issues, but they are deeply spiritual and theological issues. So the reason I wanted to write this newest book is because I felt like we needed to zoom out a little bit from just the hot button issues. And we need to look, take a close look at our, the foundation for how we think about what it means to be for life, to be champions of life. And to, to think about that beyond just these kind of culture war issues of gun violence and the death penalty and abortion. Like, let's actually step back and say, what does it look like to be a champion for life without exceptions from womb to tomb, from the cradle to the grave? Yeah. For rethinking life and kind of for your, I don't love this word, but it's the best one for it, for your platform. Are you thinking about speaking to Christians the most? Is that your hope is that Christians are listening to you the most versus going into New York City or Atlanta or any big city and just standing on the sidewalk and going, no matter what you believe, here's what it looks like to be pro-life? Because when I read it, I thought, oh, he's talking to me. He's like talking to me as a Christian evangelical Annie. Well, I, 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 I try to write books in a way that are really open to, to sure. anyone, you know, and, and, you know, explain who John the Baptist is, but yes. also explain who Bono is. Yes, so they yes, yes. He's, you know, you an explain Irish Valentine and Constantine right? to me. So. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I do think that for Christians, you know, who think about the Bible, as their primary authority for life and, 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 and Jesus, like, I want to like lean into that. Right. I don't want to like have less Jesus. I want to have more Jesus. I want to like, you know, even on the issue of life, I want to have a better conversation on abortion and what would really reduce the number of abortions. And, you know, we've got some great examples of that. I kind of point to Mother Teresa as one of my inspirations for what it really looks like to be driven by love 
yes. and concerned about life. And she was passionate about abortion, but she was also calling governors the night before an execution and saying, do what Jesus would have you do. You yeah. know, I'm praying for you. I'm, uh, you, can, you don't have to do this, you yes. know. And uh, so that passion for life is contagious. I think, you know, Mother Teresa is one of those. Dr. Martin Luther King was really passionate about so many of these issues. And even as a gun owner himself, there was a point where he just said, we're not going to win the fight to peace using the weapons of violence. And he gave up his gun and, and really decided to choose love. And he said, love doesn't kill. You know, hatred can't by drive gun out violence. Hatred. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, yeah. Yeah. Can you help me understand? I'm pretty good as a person at seeing different points of view. My mother might even tell you I'm a little too good at seeing different points of view <laughs> for a lot of things. Can you help me understand? There are a lot of our friends listening who are pro-gun, anti-abortion. And there are a lot of our friends listening who are pro-abortion, anti-gun. And they all would claim Christ, which is great because that means we'll all spend forever together. How do we yeah. end up with that dichotomy? Do you see that dichotomy too, or am I just seeing something rare? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that first of all, when when we have a bigger framework for every person is precious, made in the image of God, like when that's kind of our our operating framework, or you know, what I keep coming back to in, in rethinking life is this question: What does love require of us? Yes. What does love uh, require of us when we're talking about abortion, but we're talking about a thirteen-year-old girl that was you know violated um, and raped? Um, what does love look like? And these are hard questions. That's why I think we need a lot of grace, you know, and we need to talk about these. We're really good at having opinions about people we don't know, <laughs> you yep, know or right. about issues that's detached it. from the real people behind that's them. It. And that's part of the problem. So I start by, you know, let, let's start with this this conviction of, of the preciousness of life and, and uh, you know, and the, fueled by love, because a lot of our other conversations can be fueled by fear. But then this is where I would say, Annie, like when it comes to like policies, sometimes Christians are like, whoa, we don't want to get political. But we're inconsistent on that because you want to get political on, you know, abortion, but not on gun violence or whatever. And there's folks that'll say, well, laws, they won't change anything on guns. If you want to get a gun, if you want to kill someone, you'll figure out a way to do it. But on abortion, they do believe that laws will change. So I, I want to be reasonable and say laws don't change everything, you know, but laws should make it harder yeah. to take life. Yes. And Martin Luther King had a great line. He said, a law cannot make you love me, but it can make it harder for you to kill me. Wow. <laughs> wow. So I, I think we, we need that framework. Why do people not more. quote that line more? That Come is, on, I know, right? I'm yeah. Like, for every Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we see all those people who make graphics, why have I not seen that one? Uh, Andy, come on, I'm, I'm telling you. And, and you know, he knew that, like, no law can change a racist or violent heart, but we can make it harder for people to kill. And every country in the world has a heart problem, you know, has yeah. a sin problem, yeah. has the human problem of folks that want to do violence and harm, and yeah. they will figure out a way. But what we are unique in in America is allowing sinful people access to weapons that can do unimaginable harm, yeah. you know, like the yeah. AR-15. And this is interesting because I love when you say, what do people believe? Anytime I have an opportunity to talk with someone who might see things a little differently, I want to do it, you know? Yeah. And and the fact is, I, I can even talk about the Second Amendment. I, I'm, I'm a little, I put that, the, the Sermon on the Mount a little above the Constitution, you know, yeah. or a lot, yeah. a lot above but James Madison, 
that wrote, I mean, this is the father of the Constitution. He said that liberty can be endangered by the abuse of power, but liberty can also be endangered by the abuse of liberty. So one person's unregulated access to whatever guns they want, as many as they want, can begin to infringe on someone else's right to live. And they knew that. That's why they wrote (laughs) well-regulated in the sucker, you know? So I want to talk about it. That's why, you know, with Russell Moore, he had a great show, uh, you know, Dr. Moore had a great show where he said, tell me where I'm wrong. That was the name of his podcast, right? And I did it on the death penalty. And we talked about Romans 13. We talked about, you know, all these different, because I think that's the conversations we need, right? People are so so afraid of that, Shane. People are, I I can feel, I mean, one of the things we've been talking about on the show is what do we do when our stomach hurts? When we hear something (laughs) on on my podcast or in a book that we read, what do we do when our stomach hurts? But to me, the more we get to have them, the more your stomach settles because it isn't the only time you've ever talked about gun laws and your faith, you know, with people who may not agree with you. And as you know, I mean, I had already started reading your book before the shooting at Covenant, but I mean, Mm, that is mm. my closest kids in my life were in that building and, and we lost people that we know and that had never happened to me before. And so, so, thank you. And so, um, the conversation changed for me when it yeah. became up close, but that was true with every hot button topic in Christianity. The conversation changes when you love someone that yes. is involved with it, whether it's sexual orientation or guns or abortion. Yeah. If you love someone who yeah. is directly affected by that, it opens your heart, I think. Is that true? Yeah. I hope so. And I think, I mean, it it seems to be true to me, the more that we know people, the more complicated some of these issues get. I mean, I even write, you know, in this book that I, I didn't know that my mom had had an abortion because she didn't have a a way or didn't feel the freedom to talk about that. I mean, everything that she had experienced, had caused her just to bury that, you know? And my wife, you know, shares her story in this this new book. And, you know, one in four women have been impacted by abortion. And yet yes. we talk about this thing is just like, you know, like we're holding signs and bumper stickers on our, putting them on our car, like this doesn't affect real people. So I, I, mean, I think it's similar with guns. When that gets closer to us, we can't wait on that, though. You know, we can't wait we can't on wait. I enough candy hooks or enough yes. columbines or enough yes. covenant schools that everybody in this country is impacted. But that, that's where you go. Let's let's talk about it, right? right. Let's talk about guns that shoot 100 rounds a minute. You know, very different from the guns when the Second Amendment was written. Shouldn't there be a limit? on? I mean, we don't have grenades on the streets, right? So right. How, why do we allow weapons of war? You know, and there's even, you know, like... Is there, this is th- a dumb question. Is there laws against grenades? Yeah, there's laws. And there's uh. laws. Get this, Annie. In Philadelphia, this is different in Tennessee, I know. But in Philadelphia, it was deemed that fireworks are dangerous. So you cannot have fireworks, the big, you know, yeah. uh, like, like M80s and, you know, cher- you know all, the, all the big fireworks. You can't have those in Philly because they're dangerous. And yet you can have an... AR-15. Right. If you can't have grenades, why can you have AR-15s? I didn't know that. Yeah. But I am noticing that no one's ever thrown grenades. We're not We're not seeing stories of grenades. You oh, know, Lord, and, Shane. I mean, oh, this, is, this is how I like to think about it, though, Andy, too, is like cars, right? Cars are not designed to kill, but we know that they can be deadly. So think of all of the things that we've done just to try to keep people safe, right? Yeah. you got to show that you can drive a car before you can get a license. You have to pass a test. If you abuse your right to drive a car, you lose your license, yes. right? And there are consequences if you drink and drive, if you do things that are irresponsible, if you drive recklessly, 
right? Like we have speed limits, we have technology, airbags, you know, like seatbelt laws, like all these things that have tried, like have evolved with our technology. And yet guns, we have the capacity to do some of that. That's why I don't think it's just a policy thing. We have technology, smart guns, fingerprint technology. You know, they don't save every life, but they can sure save some. And I think all of us should have every gear we got going, what could we do that might save some lives, you know? Yeah. And, and that's where in this recent news poll, 90% of gun owners want to see some regulations, right? Yes. Like a limit to the capacity. We know that like guns, that folks that are 16 to 20 years old are responsible for a disproportionate amount of gun violence. Like you can't rent a car, you can't buy a beer. Maybe you shouldn't be able to own an AR-15, you know, like right. those things, like just right. reasonable gun laws. So that's right. what, you know, And I think, you know, let's try to find some common ground on each of these things, right? So, yeah. Yeah, common ground feels like the thing that feels hardest to find, but what I like (laughs) long for. I'm just like, no, can we all kind of meet here and have this conversation? One of the things I love that you did in the book, speaking of common ground, and because you said it earlier, and I just want to reemphasize to myself and our friends listening, like, it actually gets harder the more you search for common ground, and it gets more complicated the more you try to hear other people's perspectives. So we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that it is harder than just living in your community and agreeing with your community and not hearing anybody else. One of the people you write about so well in the book is Constantine and how Constantine (laughs) shifted Christianity, but how complicated he was. And then, so will you talk a little bit about Constantine and how complicated and what he did for our faith though? Yeah. So Constantine is one of those folks that uh, you almost feel awkward talking about it, you know, as a Christian, because some people see him as the real monumental, like kind of iconic figure, the first Christian emperor, you know, made Christianity the, the dominant religion. But what I found as I dug deeper on it is that he is very complicated. And one, just to show that a little bit is like, here's Constantine who is leaning into Christianity. He's trying to empower this sort of marginalized Christian movement that's beginning to be the dominant religion of the empire. Yes. So he has a council of Nicaea where he brings all these bishops together. They draft the Nicaean Creed, one of the most like you know iconic yes. documents in the Christian faith. And then like a year or so later, Constantine kills his own family. I mean, the brothers still got this violence and he's also got this conflict because he made one form of execution illegal. He said, it's an offense to Christ to crucify people. Yeah, he's the reason crucifixion went away. I didn't know that. We're done crucifying people. Unfortunately, he wasn't done with the death penalty, just with crucifixion. So he kept killing people. I mean, he's not the bloodiest of all the emperors, but this is where it becomes like so problematic because he is trying to embrace the Christian faith, right? And it's not just, I think what some people get wrong is they think it was just about numbers. And it was not just about numbers of Christians versus like non-Christians, but it was about proximity to power. Right. And the ability to actually the power shift, the kind of tipping point where Christians had the power to persecute other people, which they didn't have to that point. And then they began to mirror the very evil that was done to them to destroy other, you know, pagan buildings to like burn books, uh, you know, that were considered holy books and other faiths to like literally slaughter and kill people and like exchange the love and the cross of Jesus 
for the sword of Constantine. So it's a, I think it's a terribly complicated, but also just a terrible moment for Christianity yes. as we sort of lose our way. You, you, you lose this kind of passion for nonviolence that had marked Christianity for at least 300 years, yeah. you know? So, yeah. And he gave us a Sabbath and made churches tax exempt. It's just bizarre. <laughs> it is just bizarre that he set the calendar so that we worshiped on Sundays. And I, I think the reason I love that you wrote about him and what I learned from him is there's just this like, Dear all of us, from the beginning, this has been complicated. And here's the good news. Our friends listening can go and do their own research and keep reading and keep learning and take this with them. And I think that's beautiful. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation one more time to share about another amazing partner, KiwiCo. Y'all know I love KiwiCo. KiwiCo is defining the future of play by making it engaging, enriching, and seriously fun. They create super cool hands-on projects designed to create a lifelong love for learning among kids and Annie's. Each month, KiwiCo delivers crates packed with fun and sparks creativity with kid-friendly topics and activities. From engineering robots to learning about the science of cooking, there's interesting topics for every kid and real hands-on skills to explore. The most recent box we just got has everything kids need to make their own wooden ukulele. Y'all, it is so cute. KiwiCo thinks of everything. All the supplies are included and the instructions are simple to follow. So the kids will feel so proud of themselves when they are done making it and it actually works. KiwiCo has subscription lines for infants and preschoolers up to teens and beyond. Plus, KiwiCo projects are designed by a team of educators, makers, engineers, and rocket scientists who brainstorm hundreds of ideas to create the most exciting age-appropriate and educational projects. These are real engineering, science, and art projects with high-quality materials. The day the KiwiCo box arrives will be your kid's favorite day of the month. Redefine learning with play and Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. So get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at KiwiCo.com slash that sounds fun. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com slash that sounds fun. And I have one last amazing partner to share with you, Thrive Cosmetics. Guys, Scrolling through Instagram and seeing ads for Thrive Cosmetics really got me. <laughs> but they did not steer me wrong. Thrive Cosmetics products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free and made with clean, skin-loving ingredients. Yes and amen. Okay, my favorite mascara is their Liquid Lash Extension Mascara. And with 25,000 five-star reviews, I would say a ton of you agree. It's so good that it looks like you have lash extensions, y'all. Their mascara uses a proprietary tubing formula which means that it wraps around each lash as you apply it to dramatically lengthen and define your lashes from root to tip. And I will take it. It also lasts all day without clumping or smudging or flaking. And you know we need that. Nourishing ingredients support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. Plus, when it's time to take your makeup off, y'all, it is so easy. It is crazy easy. The mascara slides right off with warm water and a washcloth. No soap required. It is the best-selling product from Thrive Cosmetics. I definitely know why. Thrive is helping us stock up our makeup bags with incredible, clean, skin-loving products that make us feel like a million bucks while also helping us help others. Cause is in the name for a reason as part 
part of their mission. Every purchase supports organizations that help communities thrive with partners that help people emerging from homelessness, surviving domestic abuse, and recovering from cancer, just to name a few. You have to try Thrive Cosmetics to see for yourself. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash TSF. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash TSF for 20% off your first order. And now back to finish up our conversation with Shane. So when I'm thinking about our friends listening who are parenting, you know, like y'all are parenting, you and Katie, I mean, how do we help kids understand pro-life from womb to tomb? How do we help them understand what that looks like and, and teach that even now? One of the things that I suggest is that because history has been particular, history has not been colorblind, right? It's been very particular that some lives matter more than others. That's why it's really important to tell the truth about that history, you know, and also to realize that, you know, even things like, for instance, I think the response to the Black Lives Matter movement was all lives matter. And you go, I can affirm that, but I also, if I can't affirm Black Lives Matter, like there's something a little off there, right? Because part of that saying, like, I mean, we could say if you were in Israel, it might be saying Palestinian lives matter. You know, when when Jewish folks are under attack, it's saying Jewish lives matter, right? Disabled lives matter, like Mm -hmm. LGBTQ lives matter. Every person's made in the image of God. And if we can't affirm that with like unapologetically in our soul, then we really don't believe all lives matter. And, you know, the scripture that I look to, I heard my friend Alexia Salvatierra talk about this Corinthians verse, where it's very familiar to me, talking about, you know, we're all one body with many parts. But then there's a part of that scripture that says, the parts of the body that have been harmed or shamed are given special honor. So the parts of the body that have been dishonored are given special honor. And she calls it God's affirmative action. (laughs) God's, God's affirming what we have not affirmed historically. So to say black lives matter doesn't mean white lives don't matter. You know, it doesn't mean black lives matter more. You know, it's just saying we need to be able to say that because from the Dred Scott case to the three fifths compromise to like, even what's happening now in our country, we, we are very, good at saying white lives matter and we need to be able to say that uh, black lives matter you know black folks are made in the image of god they matter to god and anytime their life is squashed it's it crushed it's just as tragic you know to us and you know michael shea the comedian i quoted him on it he said if your wife comes up to you and says baby do you love me you don't say back honey I love everyone. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, on Mother's Day, we're not just celebrating anybody's mother. Yes. We're celebrating our mama, too. Yes, you know, So I yes. think there's a part of this that folks are crying out in the streets saying, do we matter? And we've got to be able to tell the truth about that history and um, uh, believe that the truth will set us free. And we believe that in the church, that, yeah. you know, that confession is a part of repentance. It's a part of healing our hearts is being able to say, you know, I'm, we've done some sinful things and it doesn't help just to kind of try to move on from that without recognizing it. As Dr. King says, our history of race is like a infected 
festering wound. And we're not going to get better just by kind of bandaging and bandaging. We've got to really dig into it and say, we got to heal some of these wounds. And that might require some repairs, you know, yeah. some, some, some doing some hard stuff because yeah. of what, what our history has held, you know, true. So I think that's why for me, uh, this, this is so important to talk about because we're easy at, you know, our kind of cliche little sound bites. But if yeah. we really want to, uh, talk about healing and unity, what real unity is going to yeah. look like and what it's going to take for us to get there, then we we got to have some hard conversations. Yeah, I mean, what does love require of us? Even post-covenant school shooting here, I have asked myself, as I've been reading your book, I've asked myself, okay, well, so what does love require of me in this? And so I, I guess my question for you, as a, I'm not married yet, I don't have kids, so it's just me. I'm not a gun owner. What's my next move? How do I be a part of what love requires of me? What does love require of me? Well, isn't it interesting that we don't just have to like uh, speculate on what love is. We also know like what love looks like. You know, I mean, yeah. scripture tells us love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. You know, it's patient. It keeps no record of wrong. So I think that that, that love, we should be asking every politician and every pastor and every, you know, yeah. like every, every person to say, let's, let's recommit ourselves to that love. That's not just a verse to read at your wedding. You yes. know, like that's what yes. we often use that love passage for, but let's say, I'm going to, I'm going to breathe that in every day. I'm going to pray that I would be driven by love. And we also know that love and fear are combating forces, right? They're like opposing magnets. And yes. when, when scripture says perfect love casteth out fear, I think it's naming the fact that, that we've got to choose between love and fear. And one of the questions I think we can be asking is, what would it look like if love was the compelling force behind yeah. how we're thinking about immigration, for instance, right? Nobody's just saying we don't need any like order to things, or we just need wide open borders. I think people are saying, we want a path to citizenship. We want folks that are escaping things that we can't even imagine yeah. to be shown hospitality. Because we know when we welcome the stranger, we're welcoming Jesus. Come on. Right. Huh? I know we're not right. supposed to preach any, but you know, yes, when we're, when we're yes. welcoming foreigners, we're entertaining angels unawares. I mean, this is holy stuff. Yeah. And this is not partisan. Welcoming immigrants isn't a Republican thing or a Democrat thing. It should be a Jesus thing. It should be anybody that's trying to love our neighbor. Like we're asking different questions. There's a different framework. Mm -hmm. like, we're not driven by fear. And a lot of our policies right now, whether it's immigration or guns or whatever it is, they're really driven more by fear than by love. So I think that that's the real question. And our fears are unreasonable too. I quote this study from the Cato Institute yes. that tells you all of the things that are more likely to kill you. In this case, they were showing all the things more likely to kill you than an immigrant or a refugee. And a cow is on that list. Yeah, a, yes. uh, uh, you know, lightning, roller coasters, yeah. falling down the stairs. Yes. One of them is a vending machine falling on you. <laughs> is more like, So like our fears are like shaped by some of this media and stuff that we're doing, not by reality. So I think, well, you know, let's make a decision to choose love, not fear. It feels more complicated than it should because it does, because people land on a lot of sides of this. Rethinking Life was such a good read for me, Shane, because I was like, man, there are parts of this I have never thought about and I want to. 
Not only do I need to, but I want to. I want to be thinking and get up close to some of these stories that I'm not up close to. That means so much. I mean, I couldn't think of a better thing for so that's exactly why I wrote this, you know, and, and it's why I tell stories because the stories have changed me. You know, it's not like I, I don't know too many people that change their mind because they lost an argument, you know, or they like, they get argued into thinking radically different. But I know a whole lot of people that something happens in their heart and their head kind of moves with their heart and they begin to then look at the theology that's got holes in it and all that stuff. And that happened to me on the death penalty. You know, like it's visiting guys at unit two on Tennessee's death row. My mom's been, my wife have been, I got stuff all over my desk that they've made me. I've seen the stories of Men that I think are innocent that are still on death row. Some of them are free now because they've been able to prove they're innocent. There's other folks that I've known on Tennessee's death row that I know they're guilty. They've right. told me what they did. And they're, they're trying to heal the harm. And I see what Jesus has done in their life over the years. And that has changed me. You know, That's why, like to me, these are not just unrelated issues. But you go, I think violence is the problem, yes. not the solution. And it's people not just like, I, I, you know, I haven't known someone really in my close family that's been killed, but it's people like Sharon Risher and Suzanne Bossler that their family members were killed. Mm -hmm. And yet they walked away asking that question, what does love look like? Even a love that holds out hope that someone's more than the worst thing that they've ever done. And, you know, Reverend Risher, her mom and family were killed by Dylan Roof in the middle of church. Yeah. Middle Wednesday night Bible study. And she said, the more I thought about Jesus and the gospel, I knew that forgiveness was the only way forward. And she talks about how hard that was. It's not cheap forgiveness. That's right. And she says, it's not so that Dylan Roof could sleep at night. It's so that I could sleep at night. So that hatred and resentment didn't poison my own soul. Right. And I mean, that's that's the gospel, right? Yeah. That That's the gospel that says it takes faith to believe that God's love is bigger than Dylan Roof's hatred, that Jesus has the power to change even someone's heart who's done such horrific horror yeah. as Dylan Roof, or catch this, right? Saul of Tarsus, or <laughs> right. David, or Moses who killed someone, right? Yeah. Like to believe that no one is beyond redemption. Mm-hmm. That's really, to me, is a, you know at, at the very heart of the gospel, and it fuels my passion to try to create alternatives to the death penalty. Yeah, you know? I, I don't think I've ever thought about this. So you're saying it, but but I think what you're saying is the death penalty says you cannot be redeemed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, and that's what Do- Dr. King said. Wow. It's society's that's final so assertion that we will not forgive. And I don't believe that forgiveness means that there isn't justice or that murder doesn't have consequences. I think Dylan Roof is eminently dangerous and people need to be protected from him. But I believe we can do that without killing him. And I believe that that the worst thing he does doesn't have to be the end of the story. But... um, and, and there's days where I might not feel that. And I'm going to say, Lord, help my unbelief. You that's know? it. That's <laughs> but, it. Right. That, you know, Pope Francis has you know, said that it's a contradiction of the gospel. Uh, you know, it was Mother Teresa was so passionate on this because she believed we're all more than the worst thing we've done. And, yeah. you know, I, I think of the Methodist church that I grew up in. They said they've got a powerful statement on the death penalty. And they say that it is 
denies the power of Jesus to redeem and restore and transform every person. Wow. So, um, you know, and I, so I think we can have conversations about what real justice looks like, yeah. you know, what it looks like to heal the wounds of violence without just creating more wounds and mirroring the violence that hurt us. Yeah. Yeah. When we're sitting around a dinner table with people who are of age to have this conversation, <laughs> what a great, like, let's just, Let's sit and talk about what it looks like to be pro-life from start to finish. And yeah. I think that, I mean, my, my friends and I have recently talked about what we think about cremation. Like, it's just kind of been this conversation yeah. we've been having about what we think about cremation and the gospel. And what about our bodies and where should our bodies be? And, and so I'm thinking, man, I, I want to have this conversation with my friends around the table, too, and see what we all think. Nobody has to change my mind or me change their minds. I just want to see what everybody's thinking. Yeah, and I want to say to anybody, you know, listening to this, that that these are new thoughts. I would say that that it's a gift that you, you know, we're even able to listen and talk to each other because yes. you, you just don't learn much from talking to people who say amen to everything yes. that you say and don't stretch you. The things that I've learned have come from folks that ask good questions. And these are these are complicated things. And we've always got to have room for someone to change their mind. I'm, I changed my mind, right? Okay. I was writing up, our governor in Pennsylvania changed his mind on the death penalty. And now he's hoping to close the door on it, right? Like, uh, so people, people change. And I, I love that scripture that we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, Shane. That's and Andy, it. I was in, I think it was Texas where I was. And this guy came up to me. He said, I got to tell you, man, I'm a redneck. He said, I'm a gun-toting pickup truck driving whiskey drinking redneck I, you know and he said but i've been reading your books and they've challenged me and he said i wanted to ask you if you could pray for me and he said because i consider myself a recovering redneck oh, you know and <laughs> i think that, you know we gotta have room at the table for folks if our yeah. self-righteousness gets the best of us where you know we can't we can't make room for someone else to change i mean think of it i don't know about you Andy, but if i met my own self oh. 10 years ago 15 years ago yes. we would have had some hard words you know that's like we're, we're different right so that's the problem with writing we're all books changing. that's our yeah. problem is we write books <laughs> and people can read them 15 years later and and I, and I say this a lot Shane when I, like at the beginning of every year we do like a state of the union for the podcast and I always say you're not going to agree with all the guests I'm not going to agree with all the guests and you're not always going to agree with me because I don't always agree with me when I go back and listen. So there that is go. part of that's part of what we get to do is as evolve as humans and learn and grow and think I, I, yeah. I don't want to be in a faith that doesn't let me think. That's it. That's so good. I had the, like, I think it was the 10th anniversary of my first book, The Irresistible yeah. Revolution. Oh, man. If Remember people haven't read Irresistible Revolution, it's very good. Well, that's real sweet. I, w- I wasn't saying it to promote it, but that's kind of you. But uh, <laughs> my, so somebody else had this idea on the 10th anniversary. He said, I'm sure there's things that you see differently. So why don't you go through and write scrap notes in the margins? So that's what we did. I wrote a, I re, I did a new edition that has uh, all these notes and the sides. It's like, well, I said it like that, but ah, you know, and there's this whole thing. Now I'm married. And I, I said, yeah. people always ask, but what about if someone breaks in and is about to rape your wife? I was like, let me just let her answer that question. Yeah. You know? yeah, I've got <laughs> so, one of those now. Yeah. I've got a wife now. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, Shane, thanks for making time to do this. Thank you for helping us think oh, about things. So I'm so grateful. I really am. Okay, last question we always ask. Because yep. this show is called That Sounds Fun, Shane Claiborne, tell me what y'all do for fun. 
Okay, two things. First, as we have been doing this blacksmithing, right? Uh-huh. So my wife and I are aspiring blacksmiths and metal crafters. So we take the guns that are donated. Many of them are assault rifles and, you know, and we, we transform them. So this is what we've been making. Shovels. I know people are listening, but I, this is, yeah. I, sometimes I hold we'll up one up. of these uh, shovels and I say, this is what a gun looks like when it gets born again. Yeah. So y'all are <laughs> so, taking actual guns and turning them into farm i mean that is a bible Garden verse isn't it yeah that right beating swords into plows so yeah. we're, we're doing it and uh but i'll tell you this too like uh so that brings me joy That's but cool. i also i love the circus annie i love what? the circus so no one katie has ever I, said that <laughs> yeah and so katie and i are both you we're, we're jugglers <laughs> jugglers unicyclers you ready for this fire breathers no so i'll bring it I'm, i gotta get outside next time but we'll do one i do a little fire breathing for you i, I think the it's more circus. I think that, that that's, hey, that's that's my joy. That's You're my a joy. juggler. Yeah. Yeah, I have to do that next time, Annie. But yeah. Oh, next time, please plan to juggle for us. I what a great answer. I, I went to circus school, so I love, and I, I think you know uh, that we need that, right? We the world needs a little bit more. Yes. Juggling, circus, whatnot. So yeah. I'll Let's bring my machetes juggle. and I'll juggle them for you. Very next good. Time. Oh, yeah. you're amazing. Shane, thank you again. Thanks for your work. Thanks for helping our stomachs hurt a little bit and think about some things. And that is okay. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Amy. Oh, friends, isn't he brilliant? It's just so much to think about. What does it look like for us to be pro-life from womb to tomb? What does it look like for us to embrace that ethic? And and what would love have us do? I mean, I just think it is so good for us to keep talking about and thinking about. And we don't have to agree on everything, but we certainly get to chat together about it. And I'm grateful for how y'all do that. It is really special the way we talk through all this together. So I'm grateful for y'all. Your responses online are always so beautiful and kind and thoughtful. And so I'm looking forward to seeing all your thoughts from today. Hey, grab a copy of Rethinking Life and make sure you're following Shane on social media. Thank him for being on the show today. And y'all, we leave for tour in three weeks. I have no chill. I am so excited to hit the road to see you guys. So if you've been holding out on getting tickets, now is the time. The Here For You tour is almost here. It is going to be a blast. Carlos and I cannot wait to see you. And listen, we're doing a bunch of nights three different weekends where we are talking all about community and how we are here for each other and what does it look like to really do that in our lives and our families and our friend groups and our churches for marrieds for singles i mean it is going to be a really cool night around community so i hope you'll join us and be a part of that with us You are our community, so we are here for you. You are here for each other. The tour is sponsored by our friends at African New Life, and you can head to hereforyoutour.com to grab your tickets. Okay, so we heard what sounds fun to Shane. I liked it. Now we get to hear what sounds fun to one of our friends who is listening just like you. All right, Annie, because the show is called That Sounds Fun, tell me what sounds fun to you. My name is Annie. I'm from Sacramento, California. And what sounds fun to me is hanging out with my best friends in our college town, going hiking, going to the beach, and eating at all of our favorite places. Oh, tell me where you went to college. Uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Okay, so where is that compared to where you live now? Uh, It's about five hours away, central coast of California. Okay, so it's between you and L.A.? Correct. It's about three hours north of L.A. Okay. California is so big. We, like, forget all the time. It's huge. Yeah. That driving up and down is not possible but for a normal person in a day. No. Yeah. 
Very good. No, it's a whole um, day. First meal y'all are going to have. Like, what's your spot? Uh, Firestone grilled tri-tip sandwiches. My girl. I'm very interested in this. Yes. Well done. Good answer. <laughs> I hope y'all get to do that really soon. <laughs> if you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That is how you can find me. And don't forget, you can find and follow That Sounds Fun podcast on Instagram at that sounds fun podcast. I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. And I will do the same. Today, what sounds fun to me is I get to go try on some of my clothes for the Here For You tour. You guys, new duds. There are new duds coming for you at the Here For You tour. I cannot wait. Y'all have a great week. We will see you back here on Thursday with, oh, y'all, one of my favorites. Y'all are not ready. Kim Gravel is on on Thursday. Y'all are going to love her if you don't know her yet. Okay, so we'll see you back here on Thursday. Y'all have a great week.